Hi, Why God Why Tribe. Uh, this is Peter Englert. Uh, I'm coming to you before our podcast today. Our topic is Why God Why is Sex So Complicated? And so I just want to give you a preview of this podcast uh, because this topic, as it says in the question, is complicated. Uh, we realize that when it comes to the issues of sex, we could not possibly in one episode uh, represent every view and experience on sex. And so the reason I'm coming to you today is we realize the need to answer more specific questions about sex, and we'll be planning those within the next few months and even just this next year. So I want to encourage you to listen to this podcast with an open heart and an open mind and just realize that, um, like I said, there's more that's going to be coming, but also that we just want to preview you and prep you to know that you know we do want to talk about this topic more because it's a topic in culture. And we also realize that in this podcast that we can't possibly represent every experience, but we want to do our best to keep the conversation going. So look at today's podcast as a conversation starter. Listen to it. You might disagree with some things. Use this as a discussion tool with your small group, with your church, maybe even some people that you work with or your friends. We hope you enjoy the episode. Have a great day. Welcome to the Why God Why podcast brought to you by Browncroft Community Church. My name is Harry Gibbs. I'm a member at Browncroft and producer of the show. I'm joined by our host, Peter Engler, director of adult ministries at Browncroft and John Amayo, New York State crew director. Why God Why is a podcast where we are tackling 21st century questions about God you never thought you could address or talk about. Our special guest uh, will join us later on. His name is Jared Berry. He's Assembly of God Youth Network Director, and he's going to be helping us answer the question, why God, why is sex so complicated? Man, Jared is stepping up for us. So, <laughs> uh, Peter and John, uh, let's just create a baseline before we bring Jared on. Wow. Yeah, this is going to be an exciting episode right here. The uh, talking about sex. It's great. So this is going to be a, a fun one. I think one of the things that comes to, to mind as a lot of people probably think about uh, this topic in regards to Christianity is like, can, can Christians even talk about this? Like, is that legal for Christians to do or, uh, you know, what happens when they do They're, or, you know, do Christians even know anything about sex? I guess, you know, that that's another question maybe that people have out there. And, uh, I think just to kind of frame it, in the be- I, th- I think it's important to go like Christianity actually has a positive view of sex. And that's something that maybe a lot of people don't know is that actually it's a very positive thing in in the realms of Christianity. However, any like anything else, we can take something that's very good and make it when we make that the ultimate thing that can actually distort it and turn it into something that it was never intended to be. And so that's what I'm excited about hearing and talking about this morning with Jared is a little bit more about that. Peter, how about you? I just think um, the church has developed and Christianity has developed, as you said, a reputation where it's afraid to talk about masturbation. It's afraid to talk about sexting. It's afraid to talk about these issues. And the crazy part about it is by not talking about it, people experience shame. Mm -hmm. And then by over talking about it without a healthy view 
you know, I think people experience shame too. And so both of those things tie those together because sex is something that it's so sacred and powerful that if we don't have a better conversation about it, we're bound to get to a point in our lives that it does more damage than help us. And if we don't know how it was intended to be and even starting that conversation, I don't think we'll ever experience maybe what God intended, no matter whether you follow Jesus or not. Mm. I think it's worth having this conversation and getting it out on the table. Yeah. Yeah. So super excited to have Jared here with us. Welcome, Jared, uh, to the Why God Why podcast. Man, thanks for having me on, guys. I I listened to the very first episode and I love what you guys are doing. Um, love the uh, rapport you have and uh, some great jokes, some great jokes. And uh, yeah, man, thanks for having me on. Look, look at it. Look at Jared's start, you know, with one of the most difficult topics, you know, he yeah. wants to start, you know, a little slow. So it's good. let's start yeah. with just an easy question. Is this a difficult topic? This is one of my favorite things to talk about, man. Yeah. You guys. <laughs> well, actually, actually tell me why it's, let's go there. Why is this your favorite thing to talk about in all seriousness? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm sure there's something wrong with me that partly motivates this. But um, you know what? I th- I grew up in a family that's very open. So um, my wife and I, I joke about this because she people feel differently about this. Some people like me, uh, even now, I go back home and we're all hanging out. I mean, it's probably five minutes before someone's making some sort of sex joke or whatever. My wife's family is the total opposite. So she didn't even think that her parents ever had sex. Like it was like, no, I was conceived through a, you know, a tube or something. And so, uh, I understand I'm different in that way, but I also realize even the people that aren't comfortable talking about it, this is a struggle for so many. And it's a, it's a place where the church has really dropped the ball mm. and their unwillingness to dive in and a willingness to, um, be honest about where people are at and what they're going through. And so, it's been a it, understanding how the gospel impacts sexuality has been transformational for my personal life, and so I just love talking with uh, talking with others about it. That's really cool, man. And I I think I actually saw something posted by a counselor. I think Peter actually linked to this or liked it on Facebook or something, and then I saw it based off of that. But it was a counselor who was talking about actually pastors who he counsels now. And he said there's so much uh, sexual dysfunction even in pastors that he talks to that he says that right now it's like most pastors are like they're 12 years old, you know, just kind of stuck in that junior high kind of, you know, time frame of life. And they haven't kind of moved beyond that time frame of life to actually into a mature state where they can even talk about this. You know, so if a pastor is unable to talk about it, how are they going to lead a church to talk about it? Yeah. You know, um, so that's why I'm so thankful that that you're able to do that. What do you think, like starting with that and, and before we get into some more of the specifics, like what do you think has been helpful for you in learning how to talk about it in just a, in a way that's free and open and, and you know, not junior high. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things as, um, as leaders, uh, the thing that I think resonates the most with people is authenticity. Mm -hmm. And especially in our world today, um, there's something about a willingness to be authentic and share your faults and your hangups. And it's, it's interesting whenever I preach or give a talk with this, like that's, that's always the first compliment someone will give me is like, 
hey, thanks for being so real up mm-hmm. there. Which maybe it'd be better if they're like, I would thanks. You're you're the most amazing, eloquent speaker I ever heard. I don't really ever get that, right? But I but I do get the thanks for being real and authentic. And I think there's something that connects um, my story to your story to God's story. Mm. That's powerful in that. And so, um, and honestly, when your identity is rooted in the gospel and you remind yourself of that, it's it's easier to not worry about the approval of other people and to say it's not a like I, I can share this story as embarrassing it is as it is, and it's okay. And actually, maybe it'll help somebody. You know, so for me, that's been some of the thought process. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let's dive into the topic a little bit, and and you know, I kind of alluded in the beginning that that Christianity has this positive view of sex, but I think a lot of people don't necessarily know that. Like, could you frame it for people? Uh, like, how does God feel about sex? If yeah. you're, if you're gonna kind of start from that basis, like how, what's his perspective on it? Yeah. Does he go, ooh, icky, like <laughs> humans, I can't believe they're doing that or what? Like, yeah, no, no, that's not his, uh, yeah. that's not his perspective <laughs> at all. Um, I think you should, you start with the the creation story, right? And we get a really clear picture of the relationship between Adam and Eve and the intimacy with the, that was there. Um, and, um, I mean, sex is a design by God. It's not something that humans discover. Whoa, this is kind of fun. Wow. (laughs) Didn't realize we could do this. Right. But it's actually written into the design as one, a way of procreation, but also as a way of deepening an intimacy in a, a committed relationship. And we see that picture through the story in Adam and Eve. But then when you, when you go throughout the rest of the scripture, you, um, you, you see this, um, God explaining sexuality to people, like so, so explain to the nation of Israel aspects of sexuality that are his desire. And the reason he's doing that is because it matters to him. And the Israelites are living in a culture that has cheapened sexuality and cheapened the act of sex. And so God is saying, no, 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 this is really important. I've really, I've designed this for something really special for you guys. And I want you to think about it differently and act, uh, act differently because this matters to you. Right. And so you see that throughout the old Testament. And then we have an entire book in the old Testament that is designed to, uh, it's really, I mean, if you know Hebrew, it's kind of explicit poetry, a lot of it, you know? And so it matters. It's a big, it's a big part of who God is. And then of course, even in the new Testament, there's a lot of instruction about how we should handle and how we should use it. Um, but all of it, is intended to be a positive benefit to our life when it's used in a proper context. So, Jared, um, <clears throat> I'm a male, you know, I, um, and this is a hypothetical question, some of it's true, actually a lot of it's true, but <laughs> you know what? Um, speaking for a friend. Yeah, speaking for a friend. <laughs> I'm a male, I have sexual desires. Why, why shouldn't I explore that to the nth degree. Why shouldn't I just be free to have as much sex um, to pleasure myself? You know, because again, I think the knock against Christianity is that's not freedom. Like mm. I, you know, and we've heard like the things like, why wouldn't you test the car before you buy it? You yeah. know, and so I, I guess I'm just kind of curious how you would respond to that if someone was talking to you about that. Cause I think that's kind of the biggest rub against Christianity and sex. Yeah. Well, that speaks to the idea that no rules equals freedom, right? Or no boundaries equals freedom. And the the irony of that is no one actually lives that way. Like everybody has a sexual ethic, 
So if you ask someone a question, it's like, where, where do you draw the line of what's appropriate sexually and what's not? Everybody has a line. Now, their line's different. So the question is not, should there be a sexual ethic? The question is, who defines the sexual ethic? And, and I would argue that we're, we are not the best definers of that. If there is a God who has created us and made us, then we probably should allow him to instruct us on what the best healthy lines are for the thing that he's created for us. And that's challenging because what it means is we have to admit, I can't trust my own feelings or my own understanding of what the best thing for me is. But it actually logically makes sense, right? You you mentioned in, I've heard you talk about you're, you're a father of a uh, 15-month-old, you said? Okay, so you're in the thick of teaching your kid boundaries in order for them to have long-term freedom. And oftentimes those boundaries make no sense to the child, right? No, you can't eat cookies for every meal. But in their mind, it's like, that's the stupidest rule. That 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 would give me total joy and pleasure. That would make sense. But you know, because of your perspective, I'm actually ensuring long-term freedom. You're not going to have heart disease and die of diabetes at the age of two, you know? And so we know this is true in everyday life and how we operate. But for some reason, when we think it, about sexuality, we kind of don't apply it. And we think, no, 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 just a free-for-all would be the best thing for us. It's not. And so when God lays out biblical, and this is true of any instruction, they're not there to inhibit us. They're they're there to create freedom for us and to actually help us enjoy sex in a way that um, when you operate outside of those boundaries, you can't, you know? And so so that's what I say is to change your perspective on, on that. And um, and remind yourself, God made it. He He kind of knows. Yeah, I'm I'm getting a little curious here because it, it seems like whether it's a false choice or true choice, you're you're almost choosing your consequences. So let's, you know, and I don't feel like Christianity is necessarily against the world in this. You know, I I think about uh, the show with Charlie Sheen, um, Two and a Half Men. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been a lot written on. I think it's towards the later season he realizes sleeping with a ton of women is not going to be desired. So if we take that, even not what the Bible says, like you can sleep with a lot of people and be unbelievably empty and looking for a deep relationship. And then on the other hand, it's Christianity gives you this option. You're committed to one person for your whole life, you know, and, and so, you know, that doesn't mean, you know, and I think the false Christianity is, the best sex you're ever going to have is to your married partner. And that just doesn't always happen. And I think the church has kind of given, you know, this idea that if you do it the right way, the right things will happen. And we all probably know couples that deal with that. How do you respond to both of those with the message of Jesus? Because they both kind of go in an unhealthy direction. I'm just kind of curious what you have to say about that. Yeah. I think the unique thing about the biblical understanding of sexuality is um, the Bible says that sex is less important and more important than the world says it is. And, and in this way, it's, it's uh, less important in this way. It doesn't define who you are. So your identity is not based on sexuality in the way that the world says it is. So in that, in that sense, sex is less important than the world says it is, but it's also more important. So my identity is in Christ, right? And, and biblically, we see, we see um, actually even an endorsement of celibacy at times, if you can, you know, Paul. Or, so, so sex is not the epitome of 
this is my value and worth, how many girls I hook up with or how many boyfriends I have or um, or if you're married, how often or how the quality of my sex life with my spouse, those things don't define me, right? So it's less important, but it's also actually more important because it says this is so important that it's reserved for a specific type of relationship that will heighten the experience and heighten the intimacy in this relationship. It's not something that's meant to be used haphazardly um, with a variety of people and as if it's like, hey, there's no, you know, have a one night stand. It's no big deal, whatever. Or, hey, pornography, it's no big deal. It's just a biological release, right? Like, so the Bible actually says it's more important than the world defines it. And it has a unique, special, significant value place in our lives. And so I think it's a very interesting, unique biblical perspective on sexuality. Mm. Man, it's a really great point, Jared. I, I, I'd be curious because typically when we have a topic, you know, as a communicator, or whatever, I, I have you know certain topics that I like latch onto at times because I feel like the the topics that I tend to latch onto are things that I've really experienced in my life the most, and that I can kind of speak out of and go, believe me, I know this because I've go, I've walked through it. Yeah. I imagine maybe, and I don't want to put words in your mouth on this, but I imagine maybe part of the passion that you have for this is because of what you've walked through in your own life uh, in regards to to processing what sexuality looks like and, and all of that. Yeah. Would you be comfortable just sharing kind of that journey for you and maybe a, a couple significant points for you of along the line? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I have two kids, so I've had sex at least twice. Congratulations. So yeah. I feel like I, yes. Nice work. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, you're right on, man. The reason why I love talking about this is because it has has been significant in my life. Mm. And, um, you know, I grew, I grew up in the church. I, I'm thankful I didn't grow up in the culture of today because I, I often think I can't imagine the temp, the access to pornography, the access to um, with technology is is even more of a challenge today. But I grew up um, uh, exposure to pornography, uh, exposure to masturbation, all that kind of stuff. And I remember that that continued really throughout um, throughout my time. And I remember leading up to getting married. And in my mind, my thought was my sexual struggle or sexual sin is tied to the fact that I'm single. And so once I get married, it's like, boop, everything's good. Now I've, I've checked the box and my mm. sexuality has now moved from the sinful category to the righteous category, mm. you know? And, um, and I also thought things like, oh, uh, the temptation to masturbate will go away once I'm married. Cause naturally, I mean, and I got married at, at 20. So like every 20 year old, I thought, well, your wife will have sex with you whenever and, and however often you want. I mean, mm. right. I mean, that's. <laughs> You know, so I just celebrated 14 years of marriage, and I, I'm sorry to say this to your listeners. It's not working out for you. That's not that, <laughs> that is not exactly the way it's happened. <laughs> I was a little off on that. So, so I remember I got married at 20, and all of a sudden I realized, oh, this stuff is still here, mm. and um, temptation is still here. Um, and as I started to go through this journey um, of really begin to understand the gospel big part of that was attaching it to my sexuality and, and recognizing here's, here's one thing that I recognized. Um, I understood that so much of my identity was found in the approval of people. Mm. So I, I, instead of looking to Jesus to find value and worth and approval, which he gladly has given me, 
I would look to um, the approval of people. And this happened when I was, before I was married, I would find approval. But once I got married, I realized I began to shift the approval to my spouse. Mm -hmm. And for me, and this took a lot of years, by the way, to actually connect the dots. But for me, what I started to realize is I began to use sexuality even before I was married, but then after married to, uh, I used it as a way of finding approval. Mm-hmm. So before I was married, um, I would watch pornography. And the whole idea about pornography is it's a fantasy, right? So when you're watching this, you're imagining and pretending that you're a part of this. And so you would watch these and and you would subconsciously imagine that you are getting the approval of these women who are doing it, right? And so, um, and for some others, it may be other idols. Like I think um, Tim Chester has a book called You Can Change. And he talks about four main idols that every human heart worships. And one is approval. That's my idol of choice. One is power. One is security and one's comfort. And so um, if you have the power idol, pornography is the same way. You're imagining yourself and you feel worth and value when you have power and authority and control over others. And so that's where um, a lot of pornography that's getting into bondage and it's getting more violent and more. That's why. There's a lot of men who that's their idol of choice and they, they their fantasy of being in that moment is connecting. For others, it's security. This happens a lot uh, with women. So women will become sexually active with the man because it gives them a sense of security. So they're leveraging their sexual sexuality to gain um, a sense of security, which is where they find the value and worth. And then for others, it's comfort. And this is actually where I think a lot of our young people are in today, which is I just don't want to experience pain. Mm. So I'm going to numb myself with pornography or Netflix or food or whatever. And so pornography just becomes a way of avoiding the realities of life, avoiding the pain. Well, I realized I I had used pornography and relationship, physical relationship with women before I was married to find approval. And I got married and I thought it would go away. Mm. But actually what ended up happening is I attached my sexual relationship with my wife to approval. So how often we had sex, the quality of that sex I took it as my value and worth. So if we had sex a lot, it was like, oh, I'm really wanted by my wife, mm. which means I now have more value and worth. I feel better about myself. And what happened is the the times in life when we didn't have sex often, or maybe it wasn't great, I started to feel like I was less. Like I, I remember just feeling like, man, I don't feel like I have worth and value. And, I, and I, what happened, I started to get angry at her, right? Because she was the reason I don't feel like I have worth and value because mm. she's not giving me the approval my heart needs. And uh, this was, by the way, years, years went by of this cycle, you know, and then it'd be a big fight and, and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden I remember one day realizing like, I'm just using, I'm using her and I'm using our sex life to find my identity and approval. And that is as much of a distortion of what God has given us in sexuality as it was when I used pornography, even though I'm a heterosexual, married, committed man, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Jared Berry is our guest helping us uh, tackle the question, why God, why is sex so complicated? Jared, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you know, folks that may be listening there a little younger, and I'll actually steer it back to probably, I'm guessing uh, my, I'm a 10th grade youth leader. I'm, I'm guessing they're not listening. Um, but they could we, be. They could Just be. Because of Jared, this, this episode, they might be listening <laughs> yeah, to, <yeah>. especially. <laughs> um, but... I often struggle um, when having the the sex talk with mm-hmm. them, uh, not, not being their their parent, uh, is this idea of uh, purity that comes up. Yeah. And once I lose that purity, 
Uh, well, that just means I've got free reign. Uh, but also the temptation of that purity, if some one of the, the guys in the group has stayed pure, that, that the value that they attach to that. So how have you experienced that? Uh, and what would be just some advice for uh, not the 10th grader, but uh, someone in their mid-20s that is one way or another, right? They're either in that purity stage and not overvaluing that, or uh, they haven't been pure. And how do they restrain themselves from just saying, well, I lost the game, so now let's just have fun? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I grew up in a church culture, I'm sure many of you did, and it may still exist, where purity became an idol. And um, it was almost a measure of your your walk with, with God. And so instead of my identity coming from Christ, my identity came from, and by the way, this is still your uh, tying your sexuality to, ident- to identity. It's, it's not your act of sexuality, it's your lack of sexuality. Mm-hmm. Or your uh, your purity now becomes your identity and value and worth. And so the gospel has to become our, Jesus has to become our identity in all these things. So purity is a great thing. And God has called us and desires us to be pure until we're in a married committed relationship, but it's not our identity. Mm. It's, it's a, it's wisdom. It's, it's going to be helpful and beneficial for us, but it's not our worth and value. So I would say if you are, if you are someone who has been pure and is and is committed to that, that's a great thing. But like any great thing, um, if you allow it to become your source of identity, it'll crush you, um, and it and it will mess you up long term. It's gotta be it's gotta be flowing out of your identity. Can't be the source of your identity. So you want to be pure because um, you love Jesus, and this is what He's called you to do, and how He's called you to live. That's a great thing. Um, if you've if you've messed up, right, and and you feel like you've lost that purity, what I would say is it's not a. Um, this is how I felt too. Like, um, it's a box that gets checked, and once it's checked, that there's no going back, right? So so if you've done anything, it's like boop, you're done, and then that becomes the motivation, like you said, to go. Well, might as well just take the gloves off now and really go for it. And I would say that's a wrong approach. Um, we all have checked that box in one way or another. So we're all broken. Even if you haven't engaged, anytime we use sexuality to find value and worth outside of Jesus, we've misused sexuality and we've sinned. So it's not a, it's not an issue of are some of us broken or are some of us pure and some of us not. We have all misused sexuality. And, um, and that's why um, the idea of even lusting after a woman, right? That's why Jesus is making that point. Um, we're all broken. We're all messed up. So the, the idea is not, oh, once I've messed up, I, I quit trying anymore. The idea is the more I love Jesus, the more I want to live the way he's called me to live. And whatever I've done in the past, I want to pursue that upward goal to becoming more like him, sanctification in who he's called me to be. And so that that's what I would encourage them to do. Um, and that applies to anybody. You know, you could have been a porn star and, and found Christ, and that doesn't mean um, it's over for you. You know, I, I want to take a, a moment to walk through two issues um, and just, uh, you know, the one thing that I appreciate about you, Jared, is just that you're real. And so, um, and I do think you're intellectual too, so I want to throw that out there. <laughs> well, but, thank you. But let's, you know, we've mentioned this. Let's talk about masturbation. Okay. Um, so give us a framework to have a healthy view of that and just, you know, kind of from your perspective, you know, and, and we're talking the gamut, you know, we're talking about, you know, the person that doesn't follow Jesus. 
masturbation is just part of my life. And we're talking about the person that does follow Jesus, that this is a sense of shame. Walk us through a framework of understanding that in a very specific way. And then I have another follow-up to that too. Sure. Yeah. I think that this has to start with the idea of what is, what is sex and what's the purpose of it. And I would say the purpose of sex is to be selfless and life giving to another person. And this is why you need a committed monogamous relationship for sexuality to really work because that's not one-sided. When two people come to a relationship and say, this is not about me. This is about serving and loving this other person. Well, when both of them do that, guess what happens? They both get loved and served 100%. And so if if the purpose of sexuality is not selfish, but selfless, then when it comes to the conversation around masturbation, one of the major problems with masturbation, um, even if you, because uh, you know you 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 deal with middle school boys, and then we've all had this conversation. Well, uh, well, I can masturbate without ever lusting. You know, I just think about the Knicks or whatever, which is weird on its own. But um, you know, I can. You know, t- you know that Harry's a big Knicks fan. So yeah, anyway, we that's why I said that, it. You yeah. Know. You know, I, I, I'm sure you've had this conversation, right? Well, I can totally empty my mind and think about nothing, and and it's just, and I'm like, okay, even if that's true. Even if that's true, which is probably not the case, um, but even if it is, there's still the reality of your you are engaging in a form of sexuality that's purely selfish. It's not giving life to anybody else other than yourself. And so, in that moment, you're you you're saying this to yourself: there is something that I need right now that is going to give me a sense of value and worth. And most people don't make this connection; it's subconscious, right? But this is going to give me a sense of value and worth, and I need this right now to be fulfilled. And it's not about anybody else. It's not about giving life to anybody else. It's about just strictly about me. And I would say whenever sex becomes selfish, it's a distortion of what God made it to be. And so when it comes to the issue of masturbation, it it doesn't get a lot more selfish than that, right? I mean, it's purely about us. And and I understand the, the magnitude of the challenge this is, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a tough thing, but I think we got to remind ourselves in those moments and, and my, what I would challenge people to do, and this is what I've done in my own life is with those moments of temptation, when it comes to masturbation, you have to ask yourself, why, why do I really feel like I need this right now? What am I really looking for? And for me, it usually comes down to some sense of approval. Um, maybe I'm not, I'm not feeling that for my wife. I'm not feeling that it's not just biological. If you're willing to go deeper and go down beneath the layers, you'll find out there's a deeper root and a deeper cause there. So that's great. And I think we'll come back to that. But I think something else that's in culture that Christianity looks down upon and doesn't always give a reason why, but also culture just kind of esteems. Hypothetically, 24-year-old Peter, I'm I'm dating someone, you know, we'll call her Sally. Sally and I have been dating for four or five months. We feel committed to each other and we're you know, sensing that, hey, you know what, we should move in together. We should move in so that, you know, it just would prepare us for marriage, you know, and you've said this now too, I feel like I'm being selfless. I'm welcoming you into my life. I'm bringing you in. Um, You know, Jared, you know, I'm going to be 24 year old Peter. What's your honest thoughts on that? What would you ask me? What would you push back on me? What would you maybe affirm with me? Yeah, I, I think, um, Sex was designed by God to be in a covenant relationship. And we kind of lost the idea of what a covenant is, the biblical understanding of a covenant. But the reason why covenant matters is because the idea of a covenant is 
I will commit to you even if even I will do my part even if you don't do your part. That's the idea of a covenant, right? No matter what, I'm going to commit to you. And so the beauty of that is when two people do that, um, it works amazingly. The challenge is in marriage that there's times where um, someone doesn't always do their full part, right? But the beauty of a marriage, a covenant relationship says, no matter what, I'm with you. I'm going to do this. And there, there is freedom in that um, that is impossible to duplicate outside of that side of covenant relationship. And so when you just move in together, that, that is a, 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 a level of commitment but but it's not a covenant, right? It, it, and so what happens with sexuality and that type of relationship is there's still a sense of I better I better perform, or else I'm risk losing something. Um, it's it's um, it, it loses its sense of life givingness um, because both people there's still something to risk, right? So if I don't do a good enough job, if I don't perform well enough. Um, this person may leave the relationship. They may break it off. We're not fully committed to each other. And therefore, the motivation for sexuality still becomes convoluted. I think once there's a covenant relationship there, and and you could say, well, why get married? And, and well, that's how we define it in our culture, right? It's, there's this process. And so once that covenant relationship is there, it creates this freedom within sexuality to go, um, no matter what, I'm here. I'm with you. You know, you don't have to worry about losing me or risking me. And um, that frees sexuality in a way that allows our motivations to be, I'm just, this is just about you, you know? So I know that can be challenging to to grasp and wrestle through, but I think, um, I think it's true. And, it, and there's a reason why God has laid it out for us. Man, I, I, I love how you're kind of creating a level playing field here for everybody, Jared, because I feel like no matter where you're, you're coming from, like you're, you're creating a common language, a common, you're, you're just highlighting a brokenness that's common between all of us, no matter what background you've, you've come from. I, I do want to return to kind of one of the things that you said, cause it, it sparked something in my mind that I never really thought about before. Um, that, that even the purity culture that Christians kind of created uh, in the past. I don't know. I don't know how how much of that is the same feel now as before, but. Um, Yo, that, bro, true love waits. Yeah, true love waits. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah, I kiss dating goodbye. I don't know. I just probably alienated a ton of listeners just by saying, you know, <laughs> like, what in the deuce is that? <laughs> um, anyway, uh, but but. there's a reality. There's a reality that some people are carrying around a lot of wounds because of this purity culture that was created probably in the nineties, 2000s, early two thousands, you know, whatever that was really emphasized. Um, What do you say to people who they found their identity in that and yet it let them down and now they're carrying around a lot of these wounds with them. What message do you have for them? Yeah, I, w- I would encourage them and say um, their need is the same need as every human heart, which is we need more of the gospel. And so um, when my when my value and worth, my identity is based on something. So and oftentimes in those situations for purity, it could be approval, right? Like, mm. why do I why do I strive for this? Well, I want the approval of my parents who have told me it matters. I want the approval of my youth leader or youth pastor who told mm. me it matters or the guest preacher at some youth rally or whatever. And so I, I so desperately want their approval or 
maybe it's security, right? I think I'll be safer or or it's even the approval of God. So mm. God will love me more if I if I achieve this. And then they don't. Mm. And all of a sudden it crushes it crushes their sense of value and worth. And so the solution is the same across the board, which is um Jesus heals that wound. So when you remind yourself of the gospel, what you remind yourself is on the cross, Jesus tells us that he, the creator of the entire universe, the one who's made us, but not just made us, he's the one who knows us more intimately than any other person, mm. right? So he knows things about you you don't even know about yourself, the stuff that if anybody else knew, you would you would want to just dig a hole and go bury yourself in it. He knows that. And given all of that, given the person who created you and knows you more intimately than anybody else, he still on the cross gave everything he had up for you. It's the ultimate sense of approval. And the beauty of Jesus's approval is it never fades. It's eternal. So our approval of each other goes away. Hey, that was a great podcast. Awesome. And then that keeps you going for what, 20 minutes? And it's like, hey, so what do you guys think of me now? You know, like, so any other sense of approval in our life fades. It never, ever lasts, which means it enslaves us. But the approval of Christ frees us because it doesn't go away. So the 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 challenging part is reminding our heart of that. And so when I've messed up and I've, I feel like I'm not pure anymore, we've got to remind our hearts, you have the approval of the creator of the universe who knows you more than anybody. And what that does is it says, so who cares what this person thinks, right? Like in, mm. in the big scheme of things, do I really care that this person thinks I'm a terrible guy or a terrible girl? Man, the creator of the universe thinks I'm awesome. I mean, that, that should move our hearts. Mm. Jared, uh, thanks for being our guest. We have one final question um, that we ask all of our guests. And uh, don't worry, Peter and John will will answer first uh, and and set you up for success. Are you success. saying this is over already? Yeah, it is. Oh. <laughs> Holy cow, time flies. Um, and that is, uh, we would like to explore the idea of how would Jesus answer this question that we're asking today, which is why, God, why is sex so complicated? Man, I'm going to go first because I know everybody else is going to have a better answer than me. So I'm just <laughs> going to go first. So I'm going to dive in. Uh, you know, as I think about Jesus interacting with this topic, um, I think a lot of people have the assumption that he would kind of lay down the shame card and he would just shame people to death. He would kind of go like, I know what you've done. And he would bust it all out. And then he would go, um, you know. You got to pay for all of this. I think about his interaction with, there's a, a scene called the, the woman at the well. And he, he knows every detail of her life. And it's just Jesus and her talking about the details of her life. And, and she's messed up sexually and, and, and Jesus kind of knows it. And he lets her know that he knows it. And she, in that moment, you can tell she's kind of dealing with shame. But he doesn't, he doesn't turn that on her to, to shame her to death. He turns that on to her and he says, you know what? Actually, there's a better way. You could, you could have some, you could have um, living water that will satisfy forever. And he points back to himself and he says, I'm the source that's never going to go away. Similar to what Jared was just sharing, that that he is where life is truly found. And a lot of us, I resonate with the approval thing. You know, when it comes to sex, it's like, I just, I want approval and I, and I run to that to give me approval. 
Um, I think a lot of other people can. I think that Samaritan woman was running to sex for approval, probably. Um, and Jesus says, no, no, you got that acceptance here. You don't need to run to that. So um, I don't think Jesus would be shaming people. I think he would be uh, running toward them and saying there's a better way and painting that better way. John, that's really good. I um, you know, as I was listening to Jared talk, I was thinking about in Luke, you know, the the theme verse of the biography of Jesus is for the son of man, for Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And probably the most powerful thing I'm taking from this conversation from Jared is just to ask yourself this, why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, and you know, we can make excuses either way, whether it's the excuse of, I want to be pure and I want to be righteous and I'm going to do that on my own. We can also make the excuse of, I will indulge, I will pleasure. But the power of what Jesus is saying is we don't realize our lostness. We don't realize how painful, like taking a short-sighted view is. And, you know, I, I would just challenge our listeners in this sense if you think that you're just a biological human robot that needs to do what it needs to do, I, I think you're grossly missing out on your value and importance and the love that God has for you. And I think that that's what Christianity has to offer. And so, you know, I leave you with this, not, you know, not going through changing your behavior on your own. I mean, I think it's a, a longer journey. Yes. Uh, our, our podcast before with Dave Hurtwick's on the gospel. I'd encourage you to listen to that, but I would encourage you to ask the question why, because if you're using sex for some value in some ways that just explores this lostness and it's not a lostness for shame, as John said, but it's a lostness that will make you tired and exhausted. And at some point you'll ask this question, why did I do what I do? Why not start that question right now? That's good. That's really good, both of you guys. Um, for me, I think if Jesus was in our culture today, he would say it, it's become a lot more complicated because, and this is a, actually a pretty recent thing that's happened historically, we've attached sexuality to identity more than any other culture. Um, and so we've said how I operate sexually is who I am. And that really complicates stuff because it flies in the face of the gospel. The gospel says this is who you are. It's who Jesus says you are. And so that becomes way more challenging because it basically ups the ante. So as it says, hey, um, I can't engage in this or I should I should not engage in this, that becomes a lot more challenging and a lot more difficult. And the other thing is when sexuality is attached to your identity, it complicates things because um, it roots so much deeper into your heart that oftentimes you're not even aware of why you're motivated to do stuff and why the impulse is so strong and why it's so challenging to stop. And so when you're struggling with sexual sin and someone's like, hey, why why, why can I just not stop? Well, the reason is, is it, it's not just a, a physical biological thing, but it's rooted deep within our spirituality or deep within our heart and our context. And I think that's why it's so complicated. Mm. Jared Berry, thanks for being our guest on the Why God Why podcast. If you have any questions you would like Peter or John to address or uh, just a comment on today's show, please check out our website, whygodwhypodcast.com. Thanks for listening.